0: We wanted to come up with a model that could help address, you know, food insecurity. And the reason why these nuns became an important player is because these women have devoted their lives to serving those in need without judgment. Um, And so we were very much inspired by that. We're a non-religious company, but we took the need of nunness, the idea that we all have this ability, this compassion within us to give back to the community.
1: We all have it, folks. And welcome, you are listening to The Releaders Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I am your host, Kevin Edwards. And that excerpt, my friends, was from the co-founder, Brian Genesco, who was joined by his partner, Kudabiza to share why the world doesn't need another Oreo, how nuns inspired them to bake social responsibility into their cookie company, and what leadership is needed from investors to help solve food insecurity. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into your uninterrupted episode of The Real Ears Podcast with the co-founders of Numbelievable. Enjoy. All right, here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, lucky listeners, to this episode of The Real Ears Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Here today to talk about how nuns inspired them to bake social responsibility into their cookie company are the co-founders of Nunn-Believable, Kuda Biza, and Brian Ginesco. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us today.
2: Pleasure. Hey, how are you?
1: Doing great. Doing great. So this this term social responsibility uh, uh, embodies social entrepreneurship, and now social entrepreneurship, gentlemen, is a is a fairly new term, fairly new term for a lot of our audience listening to this as well. So the first question I have for Yakuda uh, and Brian is is when did you gain the knack for social entrepreneurship?
2: Well, for me, I I gained the knack for social entrepreneurship on my journey from coming from Zimbabwe, coming to America. So I didn't really have the privilege to come from a wealthy family that could have afforded an an American education. So the only way I could come to America was uh, via scholarship. So when I, graduated high school um, I didn't have the scholarships that I needed to come to America so I turned down an opportunity to go to school in Africa to just pursue that so it took me two years between the time uh, I started pursuing uh, you know this college education to when I finally got the funds required to come to America so that journey made me experience firsthand what it is like not to have the opportunity to get an education. So when I came to college in America, I was always asking myself, what can I do for the millions of people that I had seen in Africa that didn't have access to an education? So I started a clothing line while I was still in college that had a social mission. And the whole premise was we would donate 20% of our profits to send children in Africa to school because public education in Africa, unfortunately, is not free. So for you to go to primary school and elementary school in Zimbabwe, where I'm from, you have to pay. And if you're a family that's living on $2 a day, you can't afford to send your kids to school. So through that business in college, we're able to sell enough to send, you know, more than a hundred children to school. through our scholarship program. So that was kind of like my entry point into social entrepreneurship. And that experience and meeting the children that we sent to school for the first time in 2015 was life changing. And ever since I was addicted.
1: Interesting. And just real quick before we ask Brian, are you still involved in that uh, foundation? And, And what's the impact been like?
2: So AFR clothing, yeah, still does exist. My wife now runs it. Um, she's more fashion centric than I am. Um, and we still do send kids to Africa, uh, uh, to school. So we're still continuing to do that work and we're just building on what I had established, you know, years back.
1: Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that Kuda. Brian, what about yourself?
0: Well, now you can see why I, I uh, had to partner with, with the Kuda Visa on this particular venture. My journey into social venture was really an evolving process. And it started when I launched my first business. And Kuda's heard this story uh, many times over at this point. But we had pioneered the fresh meal delivery business because I wanted people to find a healthier way to eat. I knew myself uh, as an active New Yorker, time star professional, nutrition took a back seat. So that's what led me to start that first business. And what that did uh, during that journey is as we started partnering with different organizations to help us get going, our first mission was to work with a a nonprofit up in the Bronx where we had our first commercial kitchen to help people, uh, women coming off of welfare to work programs, eating healthier vegetables. And because we were a fresh meal delivery service, it was a great initial partnership. And so for me, that was my first real exposure to to really trying to make a difference in people's lives really at at, at the baseline. And um, as we were cooking and preparing meals for everyone else, this was a natural extension of, of being able to not just provide people with healthy eating alternatives, but to help teach them how to cook and eat healthier. So from that experience, uh, we were able to grow that particular business, and after raising a couple million in venture capital, I was able to sell that business to Nutrisystem. Uh, and since then, everything that I have done in the food space, out of the food space, has really been about transformation. I like to think of it as about transformation, whether it's helping to keep. You know, I advise people on how to start a business, how to take a principled approach to entrepreneurship, to helping people live healthier lives uh, through healthy eating. And whether or not we partner with different organizations, um, and we'll get into that a little bit more with Unbelievable, because the, it's very much uh, linked to our DNA. Uh, our, our whole business model is linked to helping those in need. Um, but everything that I've done since selling that business, gosh, about 10 years ago now, has really been about transformation and social venture.
1: I love it. I love it. And, you know, we just yeah. featured the 100 top impact companies. Okay. Um, and one of the CEOs of the organization, I think, just alluded kind of what you just said, yeah. trans- the transformation uh, I asked him, what, "What to you? What is impact?" And he said, "Well, it's just tra- it's transforming lives. That's what impact is." So I thought that was that was a pretty interesting. I want to stick on that point because yeah. I think the impact is also tied into the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 goals the United Nations have set out to achieve by 2030. Uh, things like no poverty, no hunger, sustainable cities, gender yeah. equality, social justice, little things like that. You know, little little things, things like that. Little things, you know. <laughs> Um, but uh, it seems like you both have this uh, connection of education and health. So I like to think that all the goals are kind of intertwined. If you can feed uh, people in, in marginal communities healthy food, their education is going to improve. You're going to feed, you know, give people clothes. Their confidence is going to go up. Uh, there's all these different things that are interconnected. So uh, to you, Kuda. What does Mm -hmm. impact mean and what have you learned about the interconnectedness of all these goals?
2: Yeah, I I think the goals are interconnected, you know, so you talk about number two, zero hunger. Um, In order for you to achieve that, there's some level of achieving number one, which is, you know, the poverty one, right? You you have to look into ways where you kind of like have to alleviate poverty. So I think the interconnectedness exists because I think as human beings, we're all interconnected in everything that we do. And from a business perspective, you can even see the way we are even working on Unbelievable. We are doing it in a manner where we have one stakeholder, which is the consumer purchasing our product. And through that purchase, it connects to the impact. So there's kind of like two impacts that's happening. We impact our consumer, you know, through the deliciousness that they're gonna enjoy from our cookies. And, you know, we're gonna help them, you know, maybe stop uh, Their hunger. If they if they were hungry, they have a cookie. Now they're good. But mm-hmm. in, in reality, what they're also doing is they're saving lives. You know, we've had the opportunity to go out and volunteer at some of the soup kitchens that we partner with, and meet firsthand the people that were impacting. And you really do see that um, we're making an impact. And what we've also started doing is bringing some of our customers along, so that we actually bring that interconnectedness as well, where they also come and uh, meet the 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 beneficiaries of of the impact
0: i think what's important to 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 note as well that ties into the sustainability 2030 goal is not just providing meals to those in need in the moment which is very important but to also work on opportunities to get people out of the soup kitchen I, i think you know, a number of organizations, um, and I might just name one, New York City Relief is one that not only do they provide a meal, but they sit down with the people who they serve. We sat down with them last Friday when we volunteered, and you understand their story, and you try best to direct them to services. So there's a lot of other nonprofits and charities and other entities, whether you're a vet with PTSD, you're suffering from mental illness, or you're a mother with children. You just don't have enough money to eat. Like, why are you at the why are you at the, the food pantry to begin with? And what can we do to help you move to next? And I think that brings it full circle to actually solve the hunger crisis. And that's an important element of what we're, we're trying to to advocate as well.
1: Got it. Got it. And, and what I think okay let's let's take a deeper dive into what is a social entrepreneur so i want you kind of to both tell me for our audience how you would describe uh, a social let's say a social enterprise non-entrepreneur let's say a social enterprise kuda to you what is a social enterprise and how is non-believable a social enterprise specifically
2: so so for me the social enterprise is you know people usually say like oh yeah for profit i think the the clear definition of a social enterprise is you you're for Purpose, right? Yeah. You are a company that stands for a purpose. Yes, you're a for profit company, but you decide to use either a portion of the profits or all of the profits to go address uh, a social need. So, so for me, that's really the, the definition of a social enterprise. And that's how we're set up in Unbelievable as well. So, yeah. we're a for purpose uh, business where we're using a portion of our profits to fight and end hunger. You know, 40 yeah. million people in America struggle with hunger. When you think about it, that's more than the population of Canada. So you have you have more people who are food insecure in America than actual people in Canada. So we we've taken a stance as a as a brand to say you know well we're going to create value for our customers and also help fight and end hunger. Uh, you know that's kind of like our social mission.
1: Brian, what about yourself? Would you say that's a fair uh, description of a social enterprise?
0: Yeah, that's a very fair description. I think where models, business models today, and certainly in the future, are moving is toward the idea of not just social enterprise, but for profit with a mission. When you think about the impact that a company can have, uh, certainly on the bottom line. When I look at any business that I'm I'm starting today, or I'm advising on 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 starting. There has to be woven into the DNA a connection to a cause. And why that's important is because that that touches every stakeholder in the organization, whether it's the customer, the employees. You as an employee, you have a choice. We're in a low unemployment rate right now. I've got to find ways to motivate you. So even if I wasn't interested in the cause, just to keep and retain employees, talent, we should be doing this, right? But you're you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with employees, you're dealing with with suppliers, you're managing other participants in the ecosystem, and so when you're for profit and for purpose, you're now combining all of this. And I think you're creating. Uh, my belief is that you're going to create a model that's here for the long term. So unlike a traditional nonprofit, which has to spend a fair amount of time fundraising, going out and fostering wealthy donors, and having galas and other celebrations, that's fine. But I think as a business, we can create a model where if you're donating 5%, 10 15 20% of every dollar that you generate to supporting one of these causes, it becomes an authentic connection. And those businesses can be here for the long term. So in short, I think the days of businesses on Wall Street that are just focused on quarterly profits, I think those are coming to an end. If that is the only thing that you're looking to manage.
2: And I'll just add one more point, which yeah. Brian kind of like alluded to. You no, know, I think another defining factor is the whole notion of sustainability, right? Like, as a social enterprise, you want to create a model where you can you can make this into an ongoing sustainable entity. As a for-profit, um, you're always going and asking for money, right? So if the donors are having a bad year, it's another 2008. You know, the donations yeah. might not come in, and you won't be able to to provide impact. But if you're meeting a consumer need. You know, for us, people are going to eat 365, you know, days a year, yeah. three times a day. So that's a need. And if you create a, a business with a with a value equation where you're able to also then impact, it then becomes sustainable. So I think for me, that's another key defining factor of being a social enterprise. Yeah.
1: Okay. And 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 I have this conversation a lot, uh, a lot yeah. with, with people that that don't quite understand. So uh, one of the takes is okay, well, how is this going to make my company money if you're giving away profits? So a social enterprise can be baked into the company. And what you're saying is, uh, I think, Brian, you alluded to it, it's, it's throughout all the stakeholders in the organization. Everyone yeah. buys into this mission. Therefore, yeah. the relationships are better with suppliers. The customers have an appeal to you, as well as the employees yeah. um, are, are, are probably going to stick stick with the company longer because of the, the social purpose or mission. Is that well, it? Well, yeah, that's,
0: that's part of the equation. Um, but at the end of the day, Uh, as a business, you need to stay in business. And so when you look at most companies, most consumer companies, they're spending 20 to 30% of their revenue on marketing activities. So if we look to cut that down instead of 20 to 30%, maybe we're 15%, 10%. And how do we make up that Delta because of the mission, the, the nature of the referral network, the press that can come out of that, those opportunities don't cost you directly. So the money that you're saving in marketing, you can still be a profitable company, but instead of spending it on marketing, trying to acquire customers, you're not able to give back to the causes that are woven into the brand, to your brand's DNA. And um, that is, that is what I think a lot of social enterprise is able to capitalize on today because you like our product and you're willing to recommend it to a friend and then you know, someone else might pick up a great press piece and then promote us. That is, I think, a very valid, and it is a way that we're seeing, you know, other businesses grow. And there's other businesses in the space that we admire who are doing phenomenally well and are profitable.
2: Yeah, and there's this whole trend around conscious consumerism, yeah. where consumers are now very conscious of how they vote with their wallets, because every day when they go buy products, you know, they're, they're voting, right? So a lot of consumers nowadays uh, are really willing to even pay a premium for a brand that is a social mission. So with other regular businesses, maybe their way to to really win share is by, you know, being uh, discounted in price. You know, for for, for for us, you can you can maintain, you know, your premium price because you have that social mission. So you can make the economics work that way. And there's been studies um, you know, by organizations like Pledgling that have actually shown that brand loyalty is actually high for brands that have a social mission because people feel that they are part of something much bigger than just a transactional relationship. Um, and you know, we, we've experienced it in our, you know, short lifetime when we've gone with customers, like I said earlier to the soup kitchens they are willing to spend their time to come and spend the day with us because they Mm -hmm. feel that they are part of a bigger movement. So because of that, there's an opportunity where you don't have to then cut down on prices. You can still charge what makes sense economically for you to remain profitable because consumers are willing to pay that extra 5% because they know that this is a bigger mission, it's a bigger purpose, and they want to be part of it.
0: And I'll also add that it's um, because of the premium nature, and I think even uh, about Unbelievable, we use high quality, clean ingredients, uh, non GMO. So we do have a premium product in and of itself. And so when you play in this world, you have a little more latitude as opposed to an Oreo cookie or a more traditional uh, cookie, which as, as Kuda alluded to is it's almost a race to the bottom cause you're a low cost provider and every penny, everything that you, uh, on your supply chain, it, it's, it's not a winning proposition. It's very difficult to, uh, to be a brand of consequence. I think when you it's a race to the bottom, uh, where we're playing because we're higher quality, we're better for you ingredients. We have a little more latitude, and uh, customers vote with their wallets. They want to know that their dollar has purpose and uh, impact.
1: Kuda, how how old is this company?
2: So we we launched Unbelievable on October 14th, 2019. So oh, nice. about, yeah, <laughs> I remember the day, I'll never forget it. Um, so about, you know, five months old. So, you know, we're, we're still fairly young, but, you know, mm-hmm. we're excited with the progress that we've been able to make in, in such a short period of time. Uh, even during pre-launch, we even had customers purchasing because they believed in the mission, they believed in the vision, and they wanted to be a part of it.
0: Brian, yeah, when part, of our, um, part of the go-to market was um, getting pre-orders and I think that's quite common. A lot of companies you'll see raising money on Kickstarter, which A, generates awareness, B, generates pre-sales, C, demonstrates that there's a demand for a product. Um, we didn't use Kickstarter per se, but we had uh, an audience that we could launch into. We did a couple of big events before we officially launched to just generate interest, awareness, traction, and some sales and we were very fortunate in that regard
1: so brian um, when when you launched new kitchen it got you said it got bought by nutrisystems and yeah. what came along with that now if unbelievable believable is say to get acquired and, yes. and bought out uh, some investors who, if if they're not aligned with the mission of the company, may come in and say, OK, well, how do we maximize shareholder value, which would, would be the opposite of maximizing sh- stakeholder yeah. value. Yeah. And they say, OK, well, we don't want to give these profits away. What would you say to an investor like that? And how would you deal with those difficult decisions to stick with the non-GMO healthy nutrients as well as the social responsibility aspect? Of
0: That's a great that? question. It's, it's a really good question. And, and let's start with uh, the investor. Uh, we wouldn't align with an investor uh, unless they believed in this. And frankly, all market indicators, all the trends, uh, I, I, I work with and advi- I'm an advisor at Sparks and Honey uh, Think Tank on the future of ingredients and what people are looking for and clean ingredient decks are are the way of the future. So number one, if they weren't into uh, whether it's non-GMO, organic or clean eating, It's not the future, number one. Number two, that isn't the right investor for us, because if that's how they're aligned, they're probably not aligned in other ways that we think about building a business, building a team, uh, fostering a team. So uh, we just wouldn't entertain that. And there are enough investors today, and even venture capitalists and venture-backed models who are interested in this. If we look at some of the uh, analogs in this space, whether it's Bomba Socks, uh, Tom Shoes, some of the other for-profit, uh, for-purpose companies, they're able to attract investments. So we're not the first in this space. Uh, we may be the first as a premium baked goods company, because I don't know anyone else that's doing what we're doing, um, certainly at our level. Um, but uh, I am not at all concerned or worried about finding the right investors and aligning with the right kinds of folks who can help us scale and grow this into a billion-dollar brand. Um, because the bigger we become, the more, more impact we can have in the world.
1: Amazing. amazing. And so, uh, Kuda, if I go to any uh, impact conference, there's going to be someone there that is going to be presenting about the importance of measuring impact, Uh, organizations that measure more than just the bottom line and what is on the balance sheet. Have you thought about uh, what type of uh, impact metrics you will be measuring in terms of feeding uh, the 40 million uh, food insecure in the United States?
2: Yeah, it's, it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So, you know, we, we obviously measure the number of meals that we're donating, number one. Uh, but I mentioned volunteering earlier. So we've also started measuring the amount of volunteer hours that either our team or the people that come to volunteer through us also provide. And as, as the business evolves, um, I'm pretty sure we're going to be adding more metrics to this. And, you know, we're looking into our entire supply chain as well, to really figure out how can we optimize and become more sustainable in those in those areas. And that will be another metric that we will measure as well, because we're also quite, um, you know, in tune with some of the issues that we face, things like climate change, being you know, more responsible to the earth. So we have a little bit of way to go there, but these are things that we're working to optimize as the business grows. So those are going to be other areas that we're going to be measuring in terms of uh, our impact. But we do believe in that triple bottom line scoreboard um, and just having these scorecards, because that's how you're able to measure success. So whatever you can measure, you can manage. So, so for us, it's, it's something top of mind
1: fascinating fascinating so gentlemen i have to ask how good are these cookies
0: oh they're awesome and we're gonna get you some sorry we didn't get them before the podcast today
1: all right yeah. there's, there's quick it's quick scheduling is quick schedule we'll it <laughs> yeah. Out. yeah yeah yeah
2: and and if reviews are any indicator if you go on our website so far we have more than 100 five-star reviews yeah. um, which is great um so we're, we're loving the feedback we're getting um we worked with uh you know, culinary expert here in New York City to help us develop uh, this initial line. We're also working on another line that's uh, going to be launching pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, yeah, all the feedback so far has been that the cookies are delicious. They love them. People are buying them for themselves as gifts. And it's been amazing.
0: They fit into the palm of your hand. So it's a... You know, um, it's the, the delicious. It's a it's a very hearty uh, snack. Think of it uh, in that in that regard. But I, I promise you, you will find them absolutely delicious and uh, unlike anything you've had before.
1: Well, it was funny. I think uh, when uh, Phil had sent me the email and then Kuda had reached out, I I just saw the Nun logo and I just said, "Unbelievable!" I'm like, it doesn't matter. Anything else I read, it doesn't matter. I want to get these guys on the show. I just think it's the coolest thing. Now, tell us, tell audience what's the story behind the nun and why is that the the logo right now
0: right, so right take this one uh we we, we can wait we, we can wait we were inspired by uh, a group of nuns in san francisco whose mission uh they were being evicted from their mission i think it was in 2016 and um a group of good samaritans led by tony robbins and mark benioff went in and bought the mission for them and um As we got to know the Tony Robbins organization and Mark Benioff and a few of the other investors, we wanted to come up with a model that could help address, you know, food insecurity. And the reason why these nuns became an important player is because these women have devoted their lives to serving those in need without judgment. Um, And so we were very much inspired by that. We're a non-religious company, but we took the need of nunness, the idea that we all have this ability, this compassion within us to give back to the community. So again, we're, we're, we're non-religious, but we are affiliated with multiple charities. Uh, some might be religious, like a couple of Catholic charities, uh, but the ones we're working with in New York, such as New York City Relief, Joshua's Kitchen in uh, South Florida um, are a-religious. Um, so we're, we're not looking to be that, but we did wanna play with that brand. We wanna have a little fun with the brand because it's a serious subject. Uh, but at the same time, we wanted to recognize the, the good works that these particular uh, women uh, are doing. And so uh, supporting those efforts to both provide meals to someone in need today, but also figure out a way to get someone out of the soup kitchen tomorrow, which does become an important metric that ultimately we will be able to track. Right. I mean,
1: these are people dedicating their lives to service, uh, and yeah, it's yeah, you know, they're impressive yeah. people. Like, I don't know how they do it, to be honest, but they they do, and that's that's part of who they yeah. are, part of the mission. Now, where are these cookies being made? You said they're non-GMO, so where do the ingredients come from? Let's kind of walk through the supply chain. Uh, where are these coming from? Kudo.
2: So the cookies are baked in Los Angeles, in California. Yeah and um the the ingredients come from you know pretty well vetted suppliers some that are local within the california area and some throughout the country yeah so you know we ship out of the midwest that's where we have our uh, you know uh, warehouse so yeah they're they're made in on the west coast and we ship all over the country but based
0: in new york we bake in california and we ship in the midwest that way we're truly uh, uh, across the country.
1: Okay, so you launched in October 2019. What's been the most exciting uh, symbol or sign that the company is doing well and that this is gaining some traction?
2: So during our pre-launch event, yeah. um, a gentleman came over to us and you know he, he was like, hey, could I have been thinking about something? I was like, yeah, go ahead, tell me. And he goes like, what if... I was to buy 100 boxes of cookies per month for two years. Would you like that? And I'm like, what? Of course I would love that. And I was like, let's do it. So there's this gentleman in Texas who came to us and made a commitment to order 100 boxes of cookies uh, for 24 months, Um, and we've been doing that ever since we launched. So Scott Tennant with Synergy Medical uh, Group um, sends boxes of cookies to hundred customers within for, for, for his business So for us it was a testament because he sampled the cookies and understood the mission and asked himself, how can I you know play a part in this and you know what what can I do and he he made uh, a, a very, Uh, bold decision in in our eyes. And it was a a good testament that even before we had gone live, someone was willing to commit to do that um, with us uh, going forward. And, you know, we've started seeing other companies follow suit where they are also coming in and placing corporate orders um, for their clients. So now we're seeing this uh, box of cookies that we've created being sent to people as a sign of gratitude and love and just to show someone that, hey, I'm thinking about you, we love you, and you know, you know, whatever. And it's 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 kind of like bigger than just cookies, right? Because there's that emotional message that comes with it. And for us to be able to play a role in making people's day a brighter day, and strengthening the connection between these relationships is also something big. Plus, you know, the the the, the impact that we get to do together with with these uh, clients of ours, it's it's something that that we we truly admire and adore.
1: Uh, with this being a, such a big problem, not even just the United States, but really around the world, uh, it's going to take some private servants, some, some private capital uh, to really achieve these goals. What can for-profit businesses learn from nonprofits and what can nonprofits learn from for-profits? And Brian, this one will go to you.
0: Yeah, well, for profits, uh, I'll start with with that one. I I think what they have the advantage there is that they already have a a sustainable business model in theory that's generating uh, profit. They've got the infrastructure set up uh, so that you have revenues, expenses, and then you have some degree of profitability uh, that that, that varies. And so I think with that structure set up, fundamentally you're there, but what needs to happen dovetails a little bit into what I said earlier about embedding in your DNA within the ecosystem, starting with your employees, um, aligning around missions that are a mission that's important to your particular business, whether it's food, fighting hunger, um, addressing some other impact, mental wellness, health. Uh, there's there's an impact, uh, whether it's a nonprofit impact or not, but there's a way we can treat you know, treat the employees so that they feel a part of the solution and that every day when they come to work, they're motivated, they're inspired to, to, to do better. And then of course that translates to better interactions with the customers who then in turn are happier to engage with your brand. And then that translates to other areas of the ecosystem. So I think the transition, uh, the infrastructure stuff in a for-profit, but I think you need to embed the nonprofit ethos. I mean, when you think about, I work for a nonprofit, we switched to that for a moment, what that, typically means is I'm either donating my time or I'm not making much, but I'm doing it because I love it so very much. And that's the ethos that you wanna bring into a for-profit company. But let's also now go back to the nonprofit. Why does a nonprofit, why do you have to starve or not take a salary or take a substandard salary to do the things that you love and to help solve a world problem, right? Um, there's lessons we can learn from both. So applying some of the for-profit rigor and principles to a nonprofit, I think would, would greatly enhance uh, many of the nonprofits, if not all the nonprofits that are out there. Instead of getting in the mindset of a lack, Let's get into the mindset of abundance and through that mindset, let's figure out what is our top line? What are the expenses? And let's put together a, a budget and bring in some of those principles that for-profit businesses leverage. Uh, so you've got the ethos already. You bring in the principles. And I think it's just over a period of time, you can then operate in a, in a way that you can be sustainable and actually throw off something uh, at the end of the day that can help you know, in a nonprofit case, uh, fund uh, a rainy day fund so that you can continue through those downturns. Uh, uh, As you know, the economy is cyclical and uh, we've been in a 12 year cycle right now, which has been phenomenal. But at some point, winter will come and there will be a downturn. So what are we doing to help prepare for that? Another conversation for another time, which I'm perfectly happy to talk about. But uh, these are all things that I think are really important for nonprofits and then, uh, you know, for profits as well.
1: Yeah, kuda. Uh, just to go off what Brian said, uh, the unemployment rate is very low right now. However, like I think the stat the other day was like eighty percent people are actively interested in other jobs or looking at other jobs. Uh, when so, when Brian's mentioning like purpose filled work and, and being motivated and engaged. How has that worked for you? Maybe ex- explain your journey as a social entrepreneurship and how does this social engagement, this purpose drives you every morning?
2: So I've been, you know, privileged enough to be on both sides of the coin. So when I graduated, I actually went into corporate America, worked in a big Fortune 500 company, uh, worked on initiatives, even with Brian, where we created, you know, multi-million dollar businesses, uh, you know, ran fairly large, uh, operations and, you know, we were successful, you know, publicly traded company and, and things like that. But for me, one piece that I was missing, which I was kind of like experiencing in my five to nine, right. In, in my job outside work was the fulfillment, you know, we were creating a lot of shareholder value and we're doing all these things, but I wasn't really feeling as if I'm, I'm, I'm making a difference. And I actually quit uh, a very lucrative corporate position to start an unbelievable because I wanted to be part of something that made a difference, something that I felt I was making an impact. So for me, you know, mastering the art of fulfillment is something really big because to be successful, you can be successful, but you can be successful and you're also depressed. So you need to then have mm-hmm. that balance where yeah. you're both successful and fulfilled. And being in a in a business that actually makes a difference. And I can see the difference beyond just the numbers and the profits is something that has really balanced um, me personally. And I think for for, for people out there who, who are kind of like going through this, I think you you need to ask yourself that question like, what's your purpose? And you know, what what is it? you know, you feel is your calling and then go pursue it. Um, but also it comes back to the conversation of how can companies, corporations that is, learn from nonprofits. I think to be able to find a way where they can have, you know, some sort of connection deeper than just kind of like some of these general corporate social responsibility, you know, programs we see to, to really have a more authentic, genuine connection so that their workforce gets fulfillment through what they do. I think it's something that's really important.
1: And and Brian, uh, how has the experience helped you as well? I mean, a lot of young, young adults these days, you know, they want to make a difference. Uh, They want to have an impact on the world, but you know the the money just isn't there. You know the money just is not there. It's very difficult. That's why I think I respect social entrepreneurs so much because it's it's just another added task. It's it's a lot ch- more challenging, in my opinion. I mean, an entrepreneur is difficult enough alone. Uh, so how, where did you go for funding first, and how did you know this is going to be a model that could scale?
0: Um, I, I will disagree uh, on the fact that it's 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 a lot harder. I think it's actually a lot easier to attract the right kind of people because of everything that we were talking about here, uh, focusing on, on, on attracting uh, employees and, and, and tapping into what's in your heart and what aligns with your core. Mm. People care about that today. People coming out of college, people in their twenties and thirties uh, and into their forties are certainly thinking very deeply about making a difference while earning a living. So partnering with a business, that right from the start as part of its DNA is connected to your core, that's pretty powerful. And so I would argue that uh, you're actually able to recruit and attract people uh, much, much easier um and then on top of that you have the incentive potentially of, of equity or the startup or or all the things we hear about in the startup world uh despite the massive failure rate it still attracts a lot of people and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on it uh, myself but uh, the idea of, of uh, you can attract talent number one in terms of investors a lot of investors are very savvy going back to what i said earlier the corporation of tomorrow uh that, that, that we're, we're touching on today is really for profit for purpose because that is the only way you're going to attract and retain talent uh, in in corporations. Um, You're seeing uh, most of the Fortune 500 that's their day is not gonna be there in 10 years from now uh, for the mere fact that many of them are being disintermediated, they're being disrupted, they're not able to innovate, and why is that? Because they've got a ridiculous monolithic culture and they're not set up for shifting with this new paradigm uh, and shifting with the sentiment of what today's employee wants. And um, you know with 3.6 unemployment, even if it creeps up to 5%, that's still pretty low unemployment by historic standards. So we have a unique opportunity to capitalize on that. So I would argue that uh, raising capital while always a challenging task, uh, I think because of the mission, people will connect to it a lot easier. And, and so I do think um, it's something that resonates really well with people and resonates with a very specific set of investors. And so my goal, our goal is as we attract and look for for growth capital to be able to tap into that particular investment vertical.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, um. absolutely. Yeah, you know, totally. Uh, I'm glad you said that. You know, it's inspiring to hear that you felt, especially from being in both sides, that you feel the social entrepreneurship uh, has been a little bit easier than entrepreneurship. The reason I say that is because, you know, usually you have to have a premium product. Margins are lower. Uh, there's not as many impact investors out there. And a lot of people get shied away from giving away profits. So, like attracting that capital and making money to sustain that, that impact is uh, what I think yeah. is a lot more difficult as an entrepreneur versus just making the basic, you know, cookie.
0: I, uh, well, yeah, making basic cookie, but the world doesn't need another basic cookie. So, um, I think if that's how you're going to go to market, I think you're going to be stuck in that particular case. Uh, anyway.
1: Well, there we go. Let's hope, uh, let's hope, uh, (laughs) more nuns can can keep serving out there. More people can get fed. I really like that a lot. So, uh, uh, Kuda, Brian mentioned, uh, something about culture and that organizations are gonna have to change their cultures. We know Mm -hmm. culture eats numbers for breakfast. What is leadership's role in an organization?
2: well leadership's role is really to facilitate the creation of the culture it's something that i feel it's co-created you know with you your team members and sometimes even your customers as well so uh, as a leader your role is just to facilitate that discussion and just make sure that you bring all the stakeholders together and co-create that culture it's not something where leaders should try to dictate down what the culture should be because then you're trying to shove something down people's throats. I think you just need to facilitate and create a conducive environment um, to, to, to make sure that the culture is created. And you know, you can also set parameters to also just make sure that, you know, there's freedom within those boundaries um, and just make sure that it's it's in alignment with the vision. Uh, because sometimes if you just say like, hey, go at it, it it might actually then hurt you. So you're just supposed to be kind of like a guide. And empower the team yeah. uh, to to create the, the culture for, for the company so that everybody, you know, when they wake up in the morning, look look themselves in the mirror, getting getting ready to go to work, they're coming to a place where they love and they know that they've played a role in creating that that atmosphere.
1: And Brian, how has your leadership developed, you know, since the startup to now? And and what's kind of your uh, your mindset when you go in with a new organization like this?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I'll try to give a brief answer here because I, I do have a lot to say on this. Um, mindset is everything. And I do think uh, leadership does start with with you. You set the example uh, at the top, but at the same time, you allow sort of a bottoms up approach to uh, seeing how, how um, your teams and what, what it is that, that they want. Forcing things top down doesn't doesn't particularly work. But what I've learned in the last uh, uh, 15 Sorry, before I was an entrepreneur, I spent a few years at, at, in Wall Street. And so I had some experience in corporate America uh, leading up to that. But as an entrepreneur is where I had the most freedom and freedom, not just to create a product and, uh, and, and all those great things that come along with being an entrepreneur, but to, to really help create a culture. But it took a lot of time. Uh, I, I didn't have in my toolkit, if you will, certainly from the first venture to the subsequent ones that I've been working on, Um, you know, a specific roadmap. But what I've learned is that you have to empower uh, employees to be able to make decisions so that if they're gonna be accountable, they also uh, have the responsibility and they have the tools that they need to be successful. I also believe number two in coaching, mentoring, providing guidance, uh, um, one-on-one guidance, helping them recognize their potential. I I understand that people may not work here for the rest of their life and, and that's okay. What I would love to see is while you're here, you be the best you can be, you learn, you contribute, you you create value, you create more value than you take. That's a fundamental philosophy that I have. I always want to create more value for you than I take. Um, but at the same time, I also want to help prepare you for a path for the future as well, whether that's here or somewhere else. Um, you know, number three, I want us to be able to work hard and and, and actually influence and do things that show impact, um, whether it's the bottom line, uh, donating to one of our partners that we're working with, but I think, you know, demonstrating an impact, it also Shows people that we're making a difference. So I think that kind of brings it full circle. Empowering people to be the best they can, providing mentorship and guidance, and then uh, you know helping showcase the influence that you can have both in the organization and outside of the organization.
1: Beautiful. <laughs> well, uh, do I even, even need to ask the question now, Kuda? I'll just throw this one out there. What is your definition of a real leader? We just heard from uh, some from Brian. Brian, I don't know if you need to answer that question
2: anymore. Well, that was great.
0: Oh, I will have something to add, but Kuda, you go first and uh, a a wise man here.
2: So for me, I think the litmus test of a real leader is their ability to create other leaders. Um, You know, because if you're a leader and you have so many followers, you're not, I don't think you're really a leader. I think, uh, you know, the mark of a real leader is someone who can take something that's rough, help mold it, polish it, and you know, turn it into a diamond. So your ability to create other leaders, I think to me, is the definition of a real leader. Amongst all the other qualities that you need to have in order to be a leader, I think that is the one defining piece uh, that you are a real leader.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, I know I answered it mostly, but I really live by the mantra, be the change that you wanna see in the world uh, from, from from Gandhi. And I, I think today more than ever, that particular mantra makes a lot of sense, especially in today's political theater where intimidation, fear, bullying uh, are, are, are sort of dominating. you know Gandhi's ethos was uh, you know inspiring, motivating, and taking action guided by love and, and I think if we apply those principles, uh, there's enough of us out there to, that have this higher level of consciousness, this thinking, uh, we can make a difference. Um, even what, what you're doing with real leaders, this is all part of that, 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 that shift, if you will, because we as leaders have an opportunity to, uh, to make a difference, to make our voices heard, and to use our platform to influence the world uh, and make an effect real change. So, who the, who
1: the Brian just said, be the change you want to you see. And uh, How can people make a difference? How do they find these cookies? Where do they go?
2: Yeah. Well, they can find the cookies um, on our website, nonbelievable.com. Uh, we are also on Amazon. So they can also go on Amazon and just search nonbelievable and they'll find us. And pretty soon we're going to be in a retail store near you. So they should uh, always be looking in the shelves. Um, and pretty soon we'll be there. But so far, you know, going to nonbelievable.com, you get the cookies. We'll ship them right to your doorstep, and you have a delicious experience once you open one up and uh, put it in your mouth.
1: So, so how many cookies are we talking? Like, how many cookies? How many months? Is it a weekly order? Is it a monthly order? What are we, what are we talking? About? What are we working with here, Brian?
2: So we have a lot of options. So you can you can order um, a one time order. We have a six pack and a 12 pack uh, from a sizing option. Right now we have five options you can order. So we have a double chocolate, that one is gluten-free. We also have chocolate chip, classic. You know, you have to have chocolate chip in your, in your portfolio. We also have a peanut butter, Brian's favorite. And my personal favorite is the oatmeal raisin. So you can either buy, you know, as a, as a pack of its own, so you can buy a six or a 12 pack of one of the flavors or you can buy their assorted packs where it's a six pack of their, you know, all the flavors or a 12 pack of all the flavors. And that's our top seller right now.
0: People are loving the assorted variety because I guess variety is the spice of life. And and it's important to note that for every box we sell, a six pack provides at least one meal to uh, one of the partner soup kitchens. Uh, a 12 pack is at least two. When I say at least two, we're actually moving for every cookie we sell, we wanna be able to provide a meal to someone in in, in need. Um, And so uh, we're working toward that. We're not there yet, but uh, we're very excited. um, And based on the kind of partnerships across the country that we're forming, we'll be able to be able to provide proceeds for each uh, to to buy a meal for somebody that uh, is in need of it.
1: Well, I'm excited. (laughs) And yeah. I'm hungry and I, uh, you know, before I uh... well, we'll get
0: them to you, we're going to get them to you. So, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And we actually do have, um, a gift for your audience. If they oh. just type yes. in real leaders, they will be able to get a 25 percent off discount oh. on unbelievable.com.
1: Wow. How about that? People wow. lucky listeners today, tuning in, getting some, <laughs> getting some discounts and some cookies. Uh, Well, before I drool all over my microphone, uh, I just want to thank you all for coming on the Reelers podcast today. Uh, I think the most important quote that stuck out to me is uh, the world doesn't need another cookie. And I really yeah, like sorry, that. Right. I think that's a that's a really that's a really powerful statement right there because it really does when when you think about it. But something like this, that social uh, responsible company that's or responsibility that's really baked into that organization, yeah. the mission, everything that's doing, uh, it can really scale uh, this impact to, to feed as many people yeah. as possible. So I just want to thank you, gentlemen, for coming on the show today uh, for Kuda Biza and Brian Janesco. I'm Kevin Edwards. Asking to go out there. And always, folks, keep it real. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. But wait, folks, you are going to go home today with a 25% discount on any unbelievable box of cookies. All you got to do is go to real-leaders.com slash podcast and click on the box of cookies. There's a picture of a box of cookies that Kuda was able to send over to me. And trust me, folks, they are not lying. These are some delicious cookies. They're they're pretty big. They're nice and soft. And they're tasting good. I mean, there's four flavors. There's oatmeal raisin. There's peanut butter. There's chocolate chip. There's double chocolate chip. I liked them all. I even ate the oatmeal raisin that I usually don't even like. And it it was a solid cookie. It's nice and moist. It's, it's, you just got to check them out. They're like big, thick cookies. Anyways, go online to real leaders.com slash podcast. You're going to see a box of cookies, click on the box of cookies and you will automatically be applied a 25% discount. It's great for corporate gifts. It's great for giving to your friends, Uh, or or any really team rallying cause Uh, again folks they're non-gmo cookies they come neatly packed wrapped and concealed inside a cardboard box right to your front door or office building okay again folks that's real-leaders.com slash podcast click on the box and a coupon will automatically be applied to your order all right folks go out there be a good cookie and get the gift that keeps on giving Enjoy.